0: Good morning. Welcome to this part of the service this morning. Where do We stand if you care to and uh, let's have a word of prayer. <clears throat> let's pray. Thank you, God, that we can come to you. Thank you that you are our Lord and our King. And I pray, God, that as we Dig into your Word and search for a message from you. I pray that it would sink into our hearts. Lord, that we could leave this place better equipped to fulfill your purposes for us. Better equipped to uh, be prepared to spend eternity with you when our time comes to go. So I pray you bless these that you're I speak, and the congregation can say, "Listen," and there can be a connection with your Spirit. Praying, Jesus, thinking amen. Can you see it? So think a bit about um, times when you have been a student. So yeah, I went to school for however many years it was. Um, when else? Have you been a student? I'd like to have a couple, uh, uh, some feedback on that. When have you been a student? Have you taken a class of some kind? Have you been under instruction of some type? Any, uh, any uh, remembrances there? Okay, Bible school, sure. Bible school—it's a good time to be a student. Child training, child training classes? Wow. <laughs> On the job training, yeah? Okay, <laughs> sure. Anybody been to our crop spraying certification meeting? Okay, hey, you're a student. Hey, you're more students than you think. <clears throat> How about um, driver's school? Okay, did it help? So, what about um, safety training on the job? Some of you? Okay. Sure. Um, The title today is The Mind of a Student. And I'm going to look at it from the perspective of a student and the perspective of a teacher. So, you being a student and uh, you being a teacher relating to a student. The Mind of a Student uh, and you fit both. You fit both cases. Sometimes you're a student. Sometimes you're a teacher. Uh, you don't have to be in a school to be a teacher. Uh, like Earl mentioned, uh, child training uh, is a great place to, to exercise your teaching abilities. Um, and just working with people day by day, interacting. Sometimes you're a student. Sometimes you're a teacher. Uh, but probably most most importantly is our student-teacher activities in the Christian world, uh, how we learn biblical principles and how we teach biblical principles how about the same principles you know usually apply to uh, all teacher-student situations so when you were a student let's say uh, in driving to school if I can pick on you uh, did you want to be there for example no, not really okay <laughs> sure <laughs> um How about the crop spraying class? Did you have this today, nothing to do? So you oh, I'll go to our crop spraying class and we'll see. Okay. Um, Did you find the information useful? Or was it something you knew already and could just do without? Both? Okay. Not both. Sure. Now, it's important to know what types of chemicals to mix together to put in your sprayer because you want the proper results in your crops. <clears throat> sure. I once went to a class where I was. Uh, my goal was to learn as little as possible <laughs> uh, because I expected it mostly to be wrong. Uh, I took the mandatory child abuse training, uh, and mostly it was wrong. <laughs> uh, the biggest takeaway that I got from it was that legal has nothing to do with right and wrong. Uh, And somehow there's a magical age of 18 when all the rules change. So uh, um, that's a worldly worldly perspective. Of course, not based on the word of God. So to be a student... Uh, one definition of a student be an attentive systematic observer, so i don't see anybody looking out the window so uh, right now, you are being a attentive observer <clears throat> or one who learns from another, so we have to be focused we have to be attentive um, if you'd be checking your Facebook page now or you know. Uh, whatever else you could possibly be doing, uh, that would be a distraction to you. I heard about distractions already this morning. So a student, not everyone who's labeled a student is, has a student mind, a student mindset. Um, I'm sure you have, and I have seen many students who uh, uh, were actually out the window um, in, in mind. <clears throat> so the mind of a student uh, a is a a positioning of, a, of, of your mind in a situation to learn. So we have attention being given. Um, also, it helps if the student has a. Uh, understanding what the the end goal is. That's, I guess, part of the teacher's responsibility we'll get to maybe later. Um, The student understands what they're they're supposed to be learning learning about. So, if some of you, one of you, wanted to teach me to crochet, that would probably not be real successful because it's not very high on my list to learn. Uh, It'd be a great useful skill. Um, But, my interest would be low, but many of you mentioned places where you were learning because you were supposed to be there. I mean, that's what you had to be there. You had to be there to learn a certain thing to do a to drive or spray your crops, uh, and so the interest is kind of mandatory um, and not not a personal interest. But in, in the kingdom of Christ, if we just come to church with mandatory interest, well, our our uh, inspiration level again will be will be low as well people can learn by experience without a teacher uh, you could learn crop spraying without a, without a, a class mix some sprays together and spray it on your field and see what happens the uh, his history is literally with People who tried that, littered, meaning littered. Okay, so um, alchemists, um, people who tried the chemistry experiments, uh, people who tried um, non-safe working practices. But usually, it works best if somebody is is a teacher. So, in a, a, a student's position, you'd be looking for a teacher. To teach you, and then you can be attentive uh, and observe and learn from that other. It's not, it's not uh, helpful or necessary to make all of life's mistakes yourself. Uh, and sometimes there's a parenting doctrine that floats around that you should. Let your children make decisions on their own so they can you know see cause and effect uh, worked out and you know, learn their learn their own lessons well, i don't know where that's found in this manual. Um, but we should be training our children in the right way so they don't have to make all those mistakes um, that many, many may have have made so personal experience is not the best teacher. It may be the most uh, severe teacher, <laughs> but, but not, not the best way of learning something. The best way of learning something is to learn from other people, learn from a teacher, uh, learn from watching other people's experience, and actually believing, that's how it works out for you. It's easy to believe that, well, I'm an exception. If I do this and this and this, it turns out differently, but that's not normally the case. There's an example in the book of Daniel of a student who didn't learn very well. Uh, Belshazzar uh, grew up in Babylon and he knew probably his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Daniel calls him his father, but it's probably his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. And he knew that Nebuchadnezzar had built up the empire of Babylon and had gotten... A uh, pride complex and God had made him go eat grass for a while. And after that, he came back to his mental abilities and praised the God of heaven and made uh, nationwide proclamations um, and learned his lesson. So in the account of of Daniel and Belshazzar, Belshazzar at the party, the handwriting on the wall, Daniel said, you knew the story of Nebuchadnezzar, and thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hath not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. He knew about the story of Nebuchadnezzar, but he probably thought, "Well, it won't work out that way for me. I'm different." Um, that's a very, very easy to trap to fall into uh, for me personally. And I think it's probably human nature. We don't quite believe the law of sowing and reaping. We think that I can get by with it. I'm the exception. That's, that's very, very, very common. But it cost Belshazzar his life. That night the, um, I think the Persians came and conquered the city and, and, and killed him. The Bible talks about studentship, learning, learning from uh, other people in Titus 2, 4 to 6. Turn there, it talks about learning from older people. It's talking about the older ladies and the older men, and then younger men and women. Verse 4, that they may, the the older ladies, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. And then in verse 6, young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. A student, to have a student mindset, you need to, Acknowledge your uh, neediness. Uh, Jesus said, for example, come unto me and learn of me. So, what if I pretty much know everything already? Well, then we're not in a position to to learn. Um, If we think we know pretty much everything already. We need to read some verses like John 15, verse 5, where Jesus says, I am the vine, near the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same beareth, bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do how much? Nothing. And uh, Strong's Concordance describes, this part divines that nothing as not one thing. So it's pretty, pretty small. Nothing. You know, obviously, you can, you know, ungodly people can, can do a lot of things, but like you heard this morning, it's not something that God values, and it won't be valued by um, us at the end either. Uh, Colossians eight two, Paul's talking about eating meat offered to idols and having fights in the church about um, about that, and he says, "And if any man thinketh that he knoweth anything, he knoweth." Nothing yet as he ought to know. Uh, If you think you've got it all down pat, just hang on. Maybe you're a little mixed up somewhere. Um, That's a a good student posture. Understanding that right now I'm being the student. And so I shouldn't be trying to uh, explain things back to the teacher, for example. the the efforts and the uh, the works that we can do in our from our own selves Isaiah describes as filthy rags and you can do a you can do a uh, strong search on that um, it's it's um, not something you want to present to anyone that's important. We are always an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We are all in a student position in reality, whether we feel like it or whether we, we uh, accept that position for ourselves or not. Uh, in Matthew 11:28, Jesus is talking about uh, how he is, the sort, he, is the, he is the solution for people. And he says, Come unto me, I quoted the first part of that verse already. Come unto me, who? The Pharisees weren't coming into him. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. So we have to have a the student mindset is that I have a need. I have a lack of some kind. And I, I need to go and find a source to fill, to fill that lack. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. If I'm self-confident, if I'm self-sufficient, self, uh, uh, I won't self be able to be a good student. I won't be able to be taught by God or by, by Christ. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. That sounds restrictive. And learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. Uh, Jesus said, he is meek and lowly. He's not uh, uh, wild and tempestuous. Um, it will be fine being yoked with him uh, in this learning position. And it's a place we can find a rest, a rest to our souls. Uh, living on your own steam in life is really, really tiring. Uh, because... we just can't, we can't control anything. Uh, We, we're just set up to fail because we we don't have control of our circumstances. And so if everything depends upon my ability, uh, my successes or failures, uh, then I will feel very uh, weary in life. Jesus healed the man born blind on the Sabbath day made some clay and put it on his eyes, put the on the saloon and washed. And uh, then the townsfolks brought this man to the Pharisees and they came back to uh, Jesus eventually. And Jesus was talking to the Pharisees here about uh, after the healing of the blind man. And he says, For judgment I am come into this world that they which see not might see and that they which see might be made blind uh, this is figurative language here those that are blind Jesus wants to make seeing and those that think they're seeing Jesus wants to help them to realize that they are blind and the, the Pharisees got this, got this nuance in the language they said are we blind now are you talking to us about this And Jesus said, Yeah, that's right. (laughs) He says, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. They were not in a student position, they weren't able, they weren't uh, willing to see themselves as a student of, of Christ. In Hebrews, the Hebrew writer is saying that he has a lot of things to to explain to these, to the recipients of the letter, letters of the Hebrews. But he's having a hard time getting his point across because you are dull of hearing, he says. They didn't need hearing aids; they were they were uh, not willing to accept what he was saying. For when, the, for, when the, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. They were not able to uh, teach other people because they didn't have a learning heart first to be able to be prepared to teach others. And he was still having to explain the basic principles of Christianity to them. So if we have a, an open mind a, a learning attitude a uh, um, understanding that, that we are in need of information, of instruction we need to be careful who we learn from. Uh, you need to have an open mind but not so open that your brains fall out. You You need to be able to critique what you hear. You need to evaluate what you hear. And all we have to evaluate with is our our own experience. Um, If you're listening to me now talking, uh, maybe you're thinking, you know, is that really how it is? Uh, That's good. I hope you're doing that. Um, That is your job all through church service. And whenever you hear anybody else talking, is that really true? And how do you know if it's true or not? Well, you go by what you know I hadn't knew before. Um, the things that you've accepted as truth in the past. And you line up what you hear now with what I think I know in the past. Sometimes there is a nice match and your mind feels at rest as you're listening. And sometimes there is a disparity. And you say, what, what did he say? huh, that's good. That's really good. Now we need to think about what what we hear and what we read. First uh, John 4, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because why? Because many false prophets are going out into the world. Uh, another passage, uh, another passage when Paul was going to um, I think going to Jerusalem to be captured. He didn't know all the details there. He said to the uh, leaders he was meeting with before he got on the boat, he said, I know that from yourselves there will be false prophets and false teachers arising. We have to check up on each other. That's what, that's what each other is for, partly. Um, exhorting each other. Um, check up on each other. Not go around suspicious. You know, is he, is he right or not? Uh, but we do need to vet each other. We need to make sure that, that we have you know, as good an understanding as the information we have available. And we can help each other with that. Now, let me read a couple of verses in Galatians 2. You can turn there if you care, too. Uh, where this was done. So Paul's talking about his, his, his travels, his journeys. In Galatians 2... Uh, let's start reading in verse 1. He's just re- reciting his, his, um, his ill history here. Then 14 years later, after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them, which were reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised, and that being, and that because of false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we had in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So Paul was convinced that the Gentiles were eligible for, for salvation, and not because they um, came under the law of, of the Old Testament. And so that's why I mentioned the circumcision issue here. Um, Paul was convinced of this, but there were other people that came to the meeting that seemed to be speaking otherwise. And he was very clear and very quick to notice that and says, you know what? I'm not going to learn from them. I'm not going to listen to them for an hour. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to be a student to them. And I think they got their questions figured out. Um, in the Jerusalem Council perhaps later then. But Paul, Paul was, was quick to, to catch the, the doctrinal error in this, this case. And Paul even uh, checked up on Peter in verse 11 of the same chapter, Galatians 2. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. So we could say, you know, what does what Paul, who does he think he is, kind of busting everybody around? and um, But he wasn't just making this stuff up. Um, and he knew that Peter, Peter himself actually, had been the one that had gone to the Gentiles first. <clears throat> and he saw that uh, Peter was uh, giving, into, giving into, maybe his reputation in the group, uh, when the Jews from the Jews from Jerusalem came, um, he he went and he separated himself from the Gentile Christians. And Paul Paul caught that as well, and told Peter that that was not appropriate. Then we have the famous Bereans. Um, in Acts 17. Uh, The apostles, Paul and Silas, were having trouble in one city. They went to Berea. They were in Thessalonica. And he went to Berea, uh, chapter 17, verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night. Unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. So there are a couple descriptive phrases here in verse 11 um, that describes this student mentality and the caution that students need to have. he calls them more noble in that they were willing to look at what the apostles were saying and not just write them off. They received the word with all readiness of mind. So they listened carefully. But receiving the word with readiness of mind um, doesn't mean that they believed everything they heard. But they listened carefully. They were were in a position to learn um, if all the other characteristics of the learning were in place. They received with readiness of mind and they searched the scriptures, which is lining up what they hear now with what they were taught in the past. And they didn't have the scriptures all memorized, perhaps. They went and looked, looked it up, looked up verses, compared scripture with scripture. So you're attentive, you listen carefully. When you hear, you compare with what you know already. And compared with a um, source of truth, I mean, you run to the dictionary sometimes when you have a question, or the encyclopedia. In this case, they were going to the Old Testament scriptures. And they were trying to figure out whether the things that Paul and Silas were saying were true. They were vetting what they heard. And they found out they were true. And they embraced the message of the gospel and were able to be saved. So these are examples in scripture of even the apostles vetting each other. Uh, It's a good example for us. Uh, If an apostle can be railed off off on a sideline in his theology, what about you and I? We must always evaluate even what trustworthy people say. Because people are people. People are fallible. Uh, Fallible means liable to Fail. We're not. We're not perfect. We're not the voice of God on Earth. Um, I've spent quite a bit of time in a classroom, uh, talking to students, and some students mechanically copy down notes, and you know study for quizzes if they get time, and, and then I'll see what they get on the test or quiz. Uh, but once in a while, somebody will be listening, and they'll and they'll raise their hand and say that's not true, or how can that be, or, oh, uh, and I don't believe that, I've heard that too, um, and so I, I remind them to say, instead of, I don't believe that, or that's not true, say, how can that be, that's a much better comment uh, to bring back, and that's how, for us as well, so when we're hearing somebody speak, like right now, when you're hearing me speak, and I say something that you, that doesn't line up with what you've, Learn to be true in the past. Um, instead of jumping up and saying, that's not true, why don't you raise your hand and say, how can that be true? And then we can have a discussion. Uh, if it's serious enough, you can do it right here in church. Um, otherwise, you can wait till afterwards and we can talk about it then. Um, it's good that students, either in church or at school or Wherever you're learning, it's good that they're evaluating material that they hear. Uh, if you read a book, um, there's no book except the Bible that you can just read and accept everything you you read. Um, hopefully, most of the books you read are mostly mostly biblical as well. Um, but whenever we read, we hear, um, you should always be running the running the test. Does what I'm hearing, does what I'm reading match up with? Uh, What I know already. And maybe what I know already is incorrect. That's possible too. Maybe I know things that aren't right. That's that's quite possible. Uh, I teach science classes. So that's what bounces around in my mind. um, Mostly, I suppose. Um, How many of you think that um, you can use... That fire can put out. I mean, oh, sorry. Water puts out fire. Is that a common knowledge thing? Okay. How about that fire makes water? Okay. How about that um, the earth is like a plate, and the sun goes around the edge, and the north pole is a strip all around the edge, and the south pole is in the center. Does that match something you've heard before? Is that true? <laughs> all right. <laughs> How can that be true, right? Sure. Um, uh, Hot water, hot steam can light fires. Uh, You think that sounds true? Uh, Atoms, the invisible pieces that everything's made of in the universe, are mostly hollow. So... If we could somehow take all the hollow hollowness, it's like a, an atom like a big balloon with a tiny BB in the center. It's almost nothing inside. Not even air. If We could take all the emptiness out of all your atoms, you could get lost on the head of a pin. And all the people of the world could fit in a teaspoon if they took all their hollowness out of all their atoms that they're made of. does that sound to you? Okay. Um, <laughs> You didn't read the books, that's okay. Um, there's a, a type of star called a neutron star where this seems to be the case. Uh, it seems to be a very, very, very large star, like much bigger than the sun, that collapses under its own gravity and the atoms in the star get squashed down to the nucleus size. So all the hollow part of the, of the atoms the star is made of is actually squashed down to, to nothing, it's gone. Uh, and so that's what seems like it's up there. Um, you can't go actually check it. But if you could, because there's so much hollowness in matter and stuff, if you could uh, take a, a teaspoonful of neutron star of um, these squashed atoms, it would weigh about a billion tons. So see, if it, whether, all the empty space in you, in your atoms, don't doesn't weigh anything. So while you're getting lost on the head of a pin, you still weigh 149 pounds. That sounds pretty weird. Uh, But it matches with everything else I've learned over the years that matched with other things I've learned over the years. Uh, And so I'll take it to be to be the, the way at least the general understanding of nature is at this time. Um, It's not scripture. It's not a a Bible verse for that one. Um, Back to the uh, putting out water, putting out fire with water. So you put out fire with water. Um, What about that fire, burning fire makes water? Anybody heard that before? So why doesn't the, if, if burning fire makes water, why doesn't the water it makes put itself out? I'd like to do a little bit of bunny trail here and show you how that works. Uh, would you help me? No? Okay. How about the next one back? Would you help me? Um, Gesture, is it? Okay, would you come up here, please? I just need to hold this upside down. I don't have enough hands to handle everything. Okay, so propane is uh, a little molecule that combines with oxygen in the air and burns. Yes. No, I think you're fine, but thanks for checking. So how would you know if there's water coming off the flame or not? Well, we can try catching it. Not good. Uh, We can catch it inside a jar. So let's just put this flame in here. You can put your hand away so it, it don't burn you. Oops, it went out. Let's try again. Let's actually try this one. You can set that one down. Let's try this one instead. There we go. Thank you. All right, let's go like this and put this up inside there. Oh, wow, two. Hold it again. Let's try one more time. Okay, here it goes. Thank you. Can you hold it again. All right, what happens if you go (sighs) on a um, cold glass? You get water condensing out of your breath. You can sit down. Thank you. So the water out of the flame condensed inside on the glass. Uh, And you could stick your finger up there and wipe it off if your finger was long enough. Okay. So the flame does actually produce water. um, And that's why if you have a cabin or a house with lots of propane heaters in in it that aren't vented, your windows steam up in the time. Because your... Uh, the, the chemical reaction of propane burning actually makes more water than you had propane to start with. So, uh, that's where all the water comes from. So now you know. Fire makes water. But the reason it doesn't put it out, the reason the water doesn't put the fire out is because the water is in a gaseous state, invisible like air, and that acts completely different than liquid water does. So you can't put fire out. uh, Well, I guess you could if you smothered it, because liquid uh, gaseous water doesn't support combustion, so you could smother it with gaseous water, I guess, like steam. Um, You can also use steam to light fires. If you heat steam up enough, um, I didn't bring equipment along to do that with, but if you heat steam up enough, you can light a match with it. Uh, it's kind of neat to, neat to, to watch. Because once, once water is evaporated, it acts like anything else, any other hot gas, and doesn't put fire out. Like, like liquid water does. All right. So another weird thing that's actually more important to us than those little details is... That Gentiles can be saved just like the Jews. That's a really, really weird thing that a lot of people had a catch. Oops, that doesn't match with what I knew ahead of, knew in the past. Um, that's what Paul and Peter, uh, discuss, the discussion was, was about when Paul uh, said, look at you, Peter. Uh, this has now changed. That anyone that comes to Christ can be saved. And Galatians 3.27 Paul, Paul explains this, I'll just read it here off of notes. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, not that there aren't any, but that that's not the the uh, uh, the grouping doesn't matter anymore. Neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed figuratively, and heirs according to the promise. So Gentiles, like most of us here, uh, maybe there's an Israelite here. That's great. Welcome. Uh, But most of us around here are Gentiles. And we don't have much of a chance outside of the um, hope, the uh, confidence that salvation is available to Gentiles the same as Jews. Students a student mind as a teacher. So now we're, t- we're shift gears here a bit. we're talk about a student that's not you, a student that is somebody else. and you are the teacher. So this could be in a family setting, it could be in um, a school setting, of course, or a Sunday school or uh, one-on-one sometime. Everyone is called to be an example of the believers. Uh, anyway, when, when Paul was talking to the, the I guess, I'm sorry, say Paul, the Hebrew writer was talking to the uh, recipients of the letter. <clears throat> he said, now, when it's time that you should be teachers, and I don't think he was talking just to the preachers. Uh, he was talking to the congregation, the believers. So everyone is called to be uh, able to teach. Um, able to have enough understanding to explain the way of salvation. Uh, to be able to, to to explain about God's ways and God's will. And Romans uh, 15. So there, 15, talks about that as well. 15, Romans 15, verse 14. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. You're eligible to be a teacher in the congregation. We admonish each other um, in appropriate groupings. Uh, Paul's talking to, to uh, Titus. And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, there's more of the leadership directive, who shall be able to teach others also. So as a teacher. Uh, when you recognize our imperfect understanding? So I'm kind of going to the teacher mind now. I It's a little, little bit of a different subject. Uh, but we're in the teaching, teaching, learning scenario. We have imperfect understanding. Of, we wouldn't believe how. Many wrong things we believe. I'll try to verify that one. You can't, you don't know what you believe that's wrong, do you? Because we uh, don't know what we don't believe right. Um, but, but human understanding is limited. Um, and so the Bible gives us very much sufficient detail uh, to know about salvation But a lot of details of how God works, how the spirit world works, uh, what are angels for, and we know some things about that. Um, But our our, our perception is so shaky, so shady, uh, we look through a glass darkly, the mirror is really smudged, we can't see very well. And we need to acknowledge that. So, um, this is why, from a student's perspective... You need to have your ears open and your mind open and evaluate what's being said because that guy might not know what he's talking about. <clears throat> maybe, he's, maybe he heard something somewhere he thought, oh, that sounds like a good idea, and he's preaching it. Or maybe he's misunderstanding something. Maybe he's explaining it wrong. Maybe he's let his logic trails go too far down a, down a one-way street. So, Jesus said... I think Jesus said, repent and be baptized and you shall be saved, something like that. So then, how many of those people in your laps have been baptized? Uh, so we should baptize them as quickly as possible. So then, well, what about, you know, do they suddenly become baptized at birth? What about before birth? Should we baptize expectant mothers, for example, to get them early? Uh, there's there can be uh, a lot of logic trails that don't um, don't pan out with the rest of Scripture if we just take one little subject and run run down the trail with it. So, as a, as a teacher on the teacher side, we need to recognize that we're not infallible uh, and we don't understand a lot of things. Yet there are, are there's much more. Information and understanding that we don't have than what we do have. The illustration is given like going to the ocean and picking out teaspoons full of knowledge. Um, The knowledge that God has, for example, is is, uh, not even comparable with that scenario, with picking out teaspoons full of knowledge out of the ocean compared to what we have. And so it behooves us to trust God. If He's that smart, then he probably knows what he's doing, which is, which is the case. Uh, back to students. So, if we're, we're teaching students. There's some examples in the New Testament about students being taught. Jesus had students. Uh, Jesus let his students try things out. Um, and they didn't always do a very good job of it. Um, I think when Jesus came down from the Transfiguration, Mount... Some of his disciples were uh really making uh, fools of themselves let's say it that way they they um, it wasn't going well for them and so Jesus came in and corrected the situation uh, and said that they weren't prepared for this type of of, uh, of demonic healing in that case so um, as a, from a teacher's perspective, we let the students try things out and then critique them afterwards. Jesus sent seventy out, and he gave them instructions uh, where to stop, um, even how much luggage to take along. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, "Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name." And he said to them, "Okay, that's logical." I saw Satan fall out of of heaven like a lightning bolt. Uh, The devils are not on top. That's a paraphrase. And he said to them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And behold, I give give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So he gave them some uh, an assignment to do, and then he critiqued them afterwards uh, in, a, in a constructive, gentle way. So whether you find yourself as a teacher or as a student, turn to Ephesians four. The purpose of learning and teaching, Ephesians 4.13, we start there. Ephesians 4.13, verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, it's talking about the gifts that God gives to his people. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, in verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, so the the trail of knowledge gets longer and longer, um, and the longer the fence is, the easier the wiggles are to sh- these are the easier the uh, out of line fence posts show up how our, our lives are so older people have more experience, they can look back over a longer train of history um, and if they' are paying attention, um, pick up pick up um things that are not in line with what they've learned so far.' see a face. Verse 14 again, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love, the teachers may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, the teaching and the learning. And you take turns. Sometimes you teach, sometimes you learn. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So, as you find your place in a teaching position, or in an open-minded, attentive student position, uh, our goal is to edify, edify each other and to build up the, the local church of Christ as we interact with each other. Let's um, have another word of prayer. Here's prayer summary of for prayer. Thank you, God, for your blessing to us today. Just thank you for the teaching that you give us in the scriptures. And thank you that we can know that um, your words are, are the truth. And Lord, help us to be students of you and students of um, those that follow you. So I pray that you guide us the rest of this week and throughout our lives. That we could uh, be in tune with you, have our minds open to receive what you, the lessons that you have for us through the experiences of others and uh, and our own experiences, and that we can all be uh, found worthy to enter glory with you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.